Hey, grab a copy of your scripture this morning. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Just a reminder that tonight we're going to be taking this message and going to home groups. And so we encourage you to go out and check out a home group near you. They're all over the region or area. There's one north, south, east, west, and then one right here in Byesville. It'll be an awesome time. I know last week we had a great time um, at our home group, and it was just a wonderful time just connecting with one another, building relationships, and coming near to the Lord. If you're questioning on where those are at, back at the Welcome Center, we have different directions and different addresses to tell you where they're at. There's one in Cambridge, one out in New Concord, one in Senecaville, one in Pleasant City, and one right here in Byesville. Get connected tonight, and uh, you'll be happy you did. This is an awesome topic this evening. As you're turning there uh, to Luke chapter 14, let me also, you may have noticed in your bulletin that you got this monster Easter card, right? Well, this is not for you to put on your refrigerator, okay? Because Easter's happening in two weeks, right? I'm excited for Easter. It's going to be a great time. This is for you to give away. This is for you to invite someone uh, to join us for Easter services. We did this big because of one reason. It won't fit in your pocket, so it won't go in the laundry, right? Um, you can't miss it, right? And so we want you to just encourage. There's some information on the back. Um, please, please invite someone out for Easter services. We're having two services that day, one at 8.30, one at 10.40, and going to be a great time as we celebrate Easter together, Amen. And uh, going to be a great day of victory. Invite someone to come with you on Easter Sunday. Um, going to be an awesome, awesome time. Today we are continuing our thought process on the upside-down teachings of Jesus as we look through the Beatitudes. Today we're going to talk about this, this subject that just is this, empty to be filled. We talked about that earlier. We believe that the, I'm just amazed at how God just orchestrates the day. Um, and I believe God's going to speak to our hearts this morning about this concept. Empty to be filled. I want us to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I have it for you on the screen. I want us to read that together. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, today... It's our desire that you would fill us, to fill us with you. And so, Lord, today, may our ears be attentive and our hearts and minds open to what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I noticed about this passage of Scripture, and it's, it's kind of interesting because I don't know that I've ever looked at it this way before, uh, but for something to be filled, it first has to be empty. You can't fill something that's already full. And so 2 Kings has this story in it that kind of illustrates a little bit of that. And it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it's the story of a widow um, who was also a single mom. She had two sons. And her husband, who had passed away, left them with a mountain of debt. <clears throat> It was such a big debt that the people that were uh, the lenders of that money came to this woman and said, listen, if you don't pay up by this particular date, we are going to take your sons and we're going to put them into slavery until this debt is paid. And 
the reality of what that looks like is in that particular time period, that probably would have been for most, if not all, of the lifetime of those sons. They would have been sold into slavery. So the woman coming to the end of herself comes to the preacher and says, hey preacher, I need some help. Tells him the story, tells him the situation, probably thinking this, he'll just pray and God will just miraculously put a big wad of cash or gold outside my door in the morning and it'll just be awesome. I won't have to do anything. Isn't that the kind of miracles we like from God? Right? I don't have to do nothing. God, I'll just pray and you'll just kind of come through and it'll all be good. And I just wake up in the morning and there'll be a package waiting for me outside my door. And whew, that'll be awesome. But instead, what does he do? He instructs her. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to go to all your neighbors and get all the empty jars you can find. And then once you get all the empty jars that you, you can stand, you put them in the house and you shut the door behind you and you start to fill. You see, before that got to that point, he asked her a question that was really important, I thought, for the, the time. is, well, what do you have? Because this woman, if we back up the story a little bit, when she goes to the, the prophet, she's full of telling him things that she doesn't have. Well, I don't have any money. They're going to take away my sons. Then they're going to take away my house. They're going to take away everything. But what do you have? Well, I've got this little thing of oil. Not a whole lot. Just a little. And the prophet says, go get all the jars you can. Lock yourself in with, your, with your sons in the house. And start to pour that oil into those jars. Now, this is an amazing story to me because the amount of blessing that she received was in direct proportion to her faith in collecting empty jars. If she would have went out to her neighbor's house, and I'm not going to ask how many of you would have done this, if she would have went out to her neighbor's house and said, you know, that crazy prophet, man, he, he said, I just need to collect some empty jars. If you have any, if you could spare them, that'd be great. If not, man, I totally get it. I understand. And, you know, maybe the, she gets two or three. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And then maybe the next neighbor, she gets another two or three. And then she's like, well, you know, that's probably good enough. Right? How many of us would have quit? You go to all their neighbor's house and maybe you get five or six, maybe you get ten. Maybe get a few. But man, she was at it for a long time. And she collected a bunch of jars. And so she has this whole house full of jars and she's pouring oil. Could you imagine the excitement that was in her faith as she began to pour oil and, and the one jar filled and she's looking at her oil container and thinking, what? Goes to the second jar and it's full. And the third and the fourth and she keeps going on and on. And what? I didn't have that much. I just had a little. And I've already filled four jars. She, her faith was so great that the Bible says that the, she went back to the prophet, told him what she had done, and he told her this, go sell the oil, pay off your mountain of debt, because it had to be a mountain of debt if they were taking her sons. Pay off your mountain of debt and do what? Go live off the rest. And that's a lot of oil. That's a lot of faith. 
You see, I think we, we, we have to go to the, the fact of this. Gar, all jars begin with emptiness. And to measure that, we allow God to fill us with Him to the effect that we allow God to fill us with Himself is direct proportionate to our level of emptiness. In order for you to be filled, you must first be emptied. If we're going to be one of those who are blessed, who are hunger and thirst after righteousness to be filled, in order to be full of God, in order to be full of the Spirit, we've first got to be empty. The question today is whether your jar is full or it's being filled. Because there's a vast difference in the two. The jar that's full is one that is full of other things besides God. And as I read throughout the Scripture, the desire of God's heart is that we are being filled on a regular occurrence with Him. Just like that lady with those jars, just one filling, a a fullness that never stops with that oil. The only way that can happen is if the rest of the stuff in our jar is gone and that we are empty before Him. The truth is, Jesus loves to fill empty things. He loves it. John 2 is a a passage that talks about uh, a, a wedding that was taking place, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus told them to do what? Go get some empty jars and fill them with water. And he turned that water then into wine. Not only did he turn the water into wine, but it was customary for that day to serve the really good wine first, And, you know, if you know anything about the customs of that day, that's not the alcoholic wine. That's the good grape juice, fresh kind of stuff, wine. And to serve that stuff first and then the rest of that stuff later on, because weddings weren't just a one-day celebration. They were all week. Woo! As someone who has someone then has a son getting married soon, I thank the Lord it's not all week. Amen, brother? But Jesus loves to fill empty jars. In John 4, there's a woman that he finds at a well. Her life is empty, but Jesus fills it. At John 6, there are 5,000, over 5,000 people there whose stomachs are growling, and they're empty, their bellies are empty. And what's he do? Fills them. The house of Jairus is empty with the loss of the death of his daughter, but Jesus comes and fills that void and raises his daughter from the dead. In fact, if you look throughout the Gospels, you will find that there are, it is full of examples of miracles, of teaching, of instruction that point to one thing, and that's this, that Jesus loves to fill things. Jesus fills. He satisfies. Now, some didn't walk away full. There were still some in Scripture that walked away empty. The rich young ruler who had his jar full of riches, or the Pharisee who had his jar full of himself, they walked away empty. They walked away full of something else other than God. And it proves to us a very profound truth, and that's this. Emptiness is never painless. And not everyone is willing to go there. Emptiness is never painless, and not everyone's willing to go there. I want us to look at this passage, this parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. 
we're going to begin reading in verse 16, but earlier in this chapter, Jesus is having a meal with a religious leader. And if you have read throughout scripture, you know that whenever Jesus has a meal with a religious leader, something's about to happen. And it's usually something that's very awkward for the religious leader and the people that are in the room. He's having this, uh, this meal with this religious leader and a sick man enters the room during the meal. And he is at the end of himself. He's empty, in other words. Jesus heals this man. And man, think about that. That could have been an incredible moment. Could you imagine having um, the, the, the master at your house and, and he's coming, you've served him dinner and somebody comes in sick and man, he just lays hands on him and he's healed immediately. That could have been an incredible moment, couldn't it? Man, we'd have been like rejoicing like, woo! Praise God, look what happened. That's amazing. Not this group so much. They saw him heal this man and, and they're looking at each other. We already know because of the text that it says that Jesus was being carefully watched. <laughs> carefully watched like somebody that was going to take your good silverware, you know. <sighs> right? They're watching Jesus carefully. And they become indignant with this. With this healing. After all, Jesus, don't you know what day it is? It's a Sabbath day. And healing on the Sabbath day was a huge no-no in Jewish culture. That guy should have waited till tomorrow to get his healing. How crazy is that? If you're the sick person, are you wanting to wait till tomorrow when you got an opportunity today? Ooh, we'll get to that. That'll preach, man. Sensing this undertow in the room, Jesus breaks out in a couple of parables. The first one discusses the topic that we talked about last week, about the humble being exalted. And the second one's where we're going to pick up this week. Verse 16 of Luke 14. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master, to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, do not, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. A couple of things that you probably need to know as before we dive into some of these points is this, that in the Bible times, a banquet was more important than just any ordinary meal. Several parables include or involve banquets in the, because the symbolism here is very easy and natural for these people to understand. A banquet was something, it was the master feeding his people. He's not just giving them food. You don't go to a banquet and get hot dogs. 
right? Um, at least not in this case. Now, if you, if you serve hot dogs at your banquet, that's fine. Just leave out the onions. But this is not what he is doing. This is a powerful visual here of God. He is laying out the best. Whenever you had a feast or a banquet, you would lay out the best spread. And then you would also send invitations. So the table is set. The stove is hot. So he invites his servant to go compel people to come, but no one really wants to go. And we're going to look at each person invited here today because I believe there's a direct correlation to this thought process of being filled versus being empty. To this being full of the wrong things versus being full of Christ and full of the Lord. So he invites this first person, and this first is a first invited guest. He bought a field, and he needed to go survey it. I believe in this passage, Jesus is talking about personal gain. He's talking about stuff, filling our lives with stuff. How often do you find people who think they own property in reality turn around and it really owns them? You typically run into those kind of people at Walmart, Lowe's. Months after they disappeared from church, they, you go in there and, oh man, we're just consumed. And they make that sound like it's a good thing. We're just so consumed. Man, it's, since we bought this house, we've had to decorate every room. But we'll be back. Don't worry. See, businesses and advertisements, they produce commercials because they know that if you will look at their product, you'll look at their pro- your product to be able to fill the void or the emptiness that's in you. If you don't buy their stuff, man, you're missing out on something. You're going to miss something's built big in your life, so let this car fill this void. You need this car. This car does everything. It even parks itself, man. You need this car. The latest, greatest technology, man, you need that to fill your life with, of your emptiness. And the presumption of emptiness is the fuel that runs the consumer-based economy. We buy into this concept that our personal sense of fulfillment is directly related to our stuff and consuming more of the product. Have you ever watched one of your own old home videos of Christmas or birthday? Have you ever watched one of those? I remember watching those. We, we found some of those. We're, we were doing some cleaning and stuff, and we, we were like, I wonder if we still have the machine that plays this thing, right? That's the first order of business is, right, trying to find the machine that will play it again. And you hook it up, and, and you put it on the TV, and you're, like, watching, and it's the kids when they're really small, and it's their birthday party. I believe we have one of Cameron's first birthday party, and, you know, that was so awesome. You know, we put the cake in front of them, and we just put it in front of him, let him go at it, and he's like, whoa. He's like cake all over him. It's, it's amazing. Had to take him out with a hose. And it's, it's cool, man. It's awesome. But the amazing thing is, is like even at Christmas time, when, when I, I look back at things that, that uh, we unwrapped, right? I'll unwrap it, and the unwrapping is cool and awesome, and then I hold up this shirt, right? And it's from like 10 years ago. How many of you know I don't wear the same shirt I wore 10 years ago? 
That just don't happen. And I look back and I think, man, where's that shirt today? I needed that shirt at that time. That was on my Christmas list, man. I wanted that shirt. Where is it at today? That kitchen gadget that you opened up that you couldn't live without, man. I don't even know what cabinet that's in today. I think that made it for a yard sale for a quarter, right? That idea that we are consumed with stuff, sooner or later you wonder, man, did I really ever need any of this stuff at all? You know, it's kind of, this is kind of funny. Um, most airplanes are, they have this magazine that's right in front of you. And if I recently flew, and so I, I, you look, it's called the Sky Mall magazine. And they had a couple things in that Sky Mall magazine that were really cool. One was an Atari for your iPad. How many Atari people in here? Come on. You got to be my age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You love that Atari. That little joystick thing. Oh, that was awesome. They had the Atari for the iPad. I'm thinking, this is the greatest gift ever. How cool would this be? Put it on my Christmas list. How many of you know in about a month after Christmas, I'd forget I even had it. And then there, here's the other thing that I thought was really cool. A toilet lid that shuts itself. I'm thinking, I need that in my house. I have no clue how it works, but it does, man. You do your transaction, and in 30 seconds, that thing automatically shuts. Make your deposit, it, man. Boop. Do you realize how many marriages this thing would have saved? This is an amazing thing right there. We need that kind of stuff in our life. The truth is that there's no end to how much stuff that we could buy. You can fill your garage, you can fill your basement, you can fill your house, you can fill a storage unit, and you can have all of this stuff and still feel empty. Mother Teresa said this, and this is a long quote. I put it on the screen so you can follow with me. The spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people in Calcutta. You in the West have millions of people who suffer, from, who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. These people are not hungry in the physical sense, but they are in another way. They know they need something more than money, yet they, do not, they don't know what it is. What they are missing really is a living relationship with God. You can't fill your mind with stuff. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. The only way you can be filled is if you're empty. You can't fill your life with stuff and be empty. The second thing is this, the second guest. The second guest talks about his new oxen, and he's got to go test them out. You might think that he's just a simple consumer, but the character of this is, is really concerned with more of work, responsibility, and busyness. He's got this team of oxen that he could really go down, go to town on increasing his production. He could, man, he could have go from maybe plowing eight acres to now he's, he can plow 80 acres. Or, or he's, he's all about production and trying to produce his work. You know, oftentimes we get trapped in the busyness of life. In the New York Times in June 2012, there was an article that was entitled The Busy Trap. The Busy Trap. And it said 
this. It made the point that typically the default answer for how is everything going is usually this. Oh man, busy. Or so busy. Or crazy busy. It goes on to say that busyness serves as a kind of hedge around emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy. So you completely book yourself. And, in, and so that you're in demand every hour of every day because busyness, uh, we're busy because of our own ambition or drive or anxiety because we're, we're uh, I'm sorry, because we're addicted to the busyness and we dread might, what might happen to us if it were gone. In other words, we become addicted to busyness. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. Sometimes it's very hard for someone to sit alone and be able to look at a deep, deep look in themselves. We want to stay busy. We want our calendar to be busy. We want our minds to be busy. It said that it, to reiterate that, that article, it said busyness is a hedge against emptiness. You think you're running a business, but you just might be running. It's not just work either. It can be entertainment as well. Did you know that the average American today watches a thousand hours of TV a year? A thousand hours of TV a year. By the time you're 65, you'll have watched 10 years of your life watching TV. 10 years of your life watching TV. Here's a little bit better. If you're my age or younger, I didn't bring mine out today. I left it in my office. If you're my age or younger, you will spend an average of five hours a day connected, whether that be text, talk, on your tablet, your iPad, your data, connected to the internet in some way, you'll spend five hours a day doing that. By the time you are 65 years old, you will have spent 14 years of your life connected. <laughs> so if you take TV and you take internet connection, 24 years of your life at 65 will be spent either watching TV or being connected to the internet. Now you're thinking, well, I've got that master pastor. I do them both at the same time. <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> I watched this in action at a local restaurant this week. We're sitting there, my wife and I are sitting there, and looking lovingly into one another's eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, we start to look around, and there's a father there with his son. And the son's the cutest little guy. Had to be about three years old. And he's just sitting there asking Dad, 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 what do you think of this? Dad, isn't this cool? Isn't this awesome? His dad never looked up from his phone one time to acknowledge his son. We sat and watched that for five solid minutes. For five solid minutes. He never once looked up to acknowledge his son. And yet we wonder why we are raising a generation who are empty, who have void in their life. We wonder why things are happening in such a way in our society that, that fill that 
thought process. That's because the devil's got us duped into filling. We need to fill that void with stuff, with busyness, with things. You got to be connected, man. It is said, let's talk about phones for just a minute. The International Data Corporation found that 80% of smartphone users check their phones within the first 15 minutes after they wake up. 80% of people that have a smartphone check their smartphones. 80%. But some people, it went on to say, some people check their phones all day because they have this nervous tick. So they never, it's always... Right? Somebody text me. Somebody call me. One out of four Americans will not go to the bathroom without their phone. Let that sink in for just a minute. One out of four Americans will not. It's not that they can't. It's that they won't go to the bathroom without their phone. All this points to is merely symptoms of a calendar that's so packed, of a mind that's so distracted, of a life that's so oversaturated that when time comes for the great banquet, when time comes for the Lord that God wants to move in your life and he's invited you to come, which if you know anything about the Lord, that's a constant invitation to you to come. And what that is is that shows us that we can't find room for it with our schedules and with our busyness. The greatest tragedy is that people never know what they've missed. They're moving too fast and thinking too surface and keeping up the pace and keeping themselves busy. And they're moving more distant from the God who loves them. The third guest. The third guest might be the hardest one to criticize of all. Because he's the newlywed, man. He just got married. The tendency would be, oh, yeah, dude, that's cool. Congratulations, man. Give him a high five, slap him on the back. Congratulations, you just got married. That's so awesome. Yeah, dude, I understand. That would have been the temptation. You want to come along and congratulate him. Hey, man, you would have said something like this, man, that just sounds like a nice dinner, but we just got back from our honeymoon. We got to unpack. We got to write thank you notes. I'll tell you what, man, I'll, ch- I'll catch the next one. I'll make sure I get the next one. Hmm. How many songs about love have you listened to in your life? <laughs> How many movies have you watched about love in your life? Nearly all of them have a same simple message the right partner will fill the emptiness of your life. And it has been ingrained to us this thought, you complete me. (laughs) The idea that causes people to marry and enter a relationship with a huge And false expectation is this thought that you complete me. And so this thought process of how does this fill into our message today? How does this, what are we doing in filling? We're filling our lives with relationships. 
And we're thinking that those relationships will be the ones that provide us fulfillment. We're thinking that those relationships are the ones that we can connect to and grow with. And man, we'll never have another care. And as long as I'm connected here, it's going to be awesome because that person completes me. If I need to find someone else to complete me, then I'm looking in the wrong place to fill the emptiness in my life. One half of a person plus one half of a person does not make one whole relationship. I want you to hear this. If you're finding your completeness in another relationship, you are missing the boat because there's only one place you can find completeness, and that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. My wife doesn't complete me. I love her dearly. She's amazing, but she doesn't complete me. Because whenever we take a complete person in the Lord and a complete person in the Lord and you put those together, you know what you get? You get an amazing relationship. Why? Because Jesus is found in the center of it. And that is where you find completeness. Only God can complete you. And our society has got us disillusioned to think that someone else can other than Jesus. So we fill our lives with relationships and others attempting to find a respite from our emptiness only to walk away um, unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And, And typically what happens is we'll go to one relationship and we find that that didn't complete me or it did for a month or it did for a year or it did for a period of time. And then we'll say, whoa, that doesn't complete me anymore. I'm not satisfied with that anymore. And so instead of filling the emptiness with Christ, we look to someone else and we'll leave that one and we'll go over here and we'll say, oh, Oh, man, I'm so this person completes me, and we run through the same cycle over and over and over again. And we wonder why in the world can I not find satisfaction with these relationships that I'm in? It's because there's only one place to get it, and you're running from it. The place to get it is with Christ. Remember what we said: in order to be full, you must first be empty. So is it stuff? Is it busyness and activity? Is, it, is that relationship, is that filling the space of your life that was meant for God? Let's go back to that beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I also want us to look at a passage of Scripture. See, righteousness alone is, is, found, righteousness is found in God alone. Consuming his word and being filled with the spirit. So I want us to go to a passage just found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And I close with this, this thought today. This is where we'll close. Ephesians 5, 18 says this. It says, be filled with the spirit. You can go home and memorize that one. That's an easy one. It's like whenever my Bible college professor said, you got to memorize a passage of Scripture. I said, okay, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. (laughs) That didn't go very well. Be filled with the Spirit. That word filled in that passage is a present passive imperative tense. 
What that means is this, the, the verb tense, the, the, the imperative tense means that it's a command, it's not an option. It, it's not a, it, it, you don't have the choice, it says for you to be filled with the Spirit. We are told that all of us need to do this, to be filled with the Spirit of God. The verb tense, or the present te- tense, gives us this thought process that this is not a one-time event. It doesn't just happen once. So if you think that this is something where I'm going to be filled with the Spirit of God, that's great, and I'm never going to open up my Bible, I'm never going to pray, I'm never going to seek after God, I'm never going to worship. If you think that that one-time experience was enough, I'm telling you, according to the book of Ephesians, Paul says, be filled all the time. Not just once. Because what happens is this. Life has a way of emptying out your jar. Life has a way that whenever you you get poured into the the possibility of Scripture that says this, we are to be jars that He can use, vessels of honor that He can use. So if He's going to pour into me, it's my responsibility then to do what? Pour out to other people. I've got stuff pouring out of me. And so if I've got stuff pouring out of me, there's going to be a time when i got to get filled again. Or what's going to happen? I'm going to be empty. And that's when the temptation comes to fill yourself with other things. Be filled. This is not a one-time event. The passive part of this is this. It's not something we can do ourselves. You can't fill yourself. The only thing you can do is empty yourself. You can empty yourself so that God can fill you. We can pray consistently to the Lord, empty me, O God, of all this stuff that I've filled my life with and fill me with your spirit and your word. There's a quote that I close with today. It's from D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody said this, I firmly believe that the moment our heart are, are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already with something else. Before we pray that God will fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Spirit will come. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, I thank you. Thank you for the promise in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one that loves to fill empty things. Holy Spirit, have your way here this morning. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you be honest with yourself, and you're honest with God. And you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm not being filled with the Spirit. I've got things in my life that my life is full of other things and I'm not living for Jesus the way I need to. 
I've let things and busyness and stuff and relationships and uh, there's so many other things. I only touched on three, but there's other things that we could have listed today too. But I've allowed that stuff to fill my life. And today you'd like to say, Pastor, I need to empty myself. And I need to find my, fill that void with, with Jesus in my heart. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I need to come back and I need to accept Christ. I need to get rid of some things in my life. Would you slip your hand right now so we can pray with you this morning? Pastor, that's me. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Thank you. In these moments, as they're just playing softly, here's what I'd like for us to do. As I was preparing this message for my own heart, I had to do a self-inventory. I had to look at myself and say, God, what is my jar full of? Is my jar full of stuff? Do I, do I try to fulfill that void in my life with stuff? Do I do, I do it with busyness? Do I do it with my calendar? Do I keep myself busy? Do I fill my, that void, God, with other people, with relationships? Do I look for love and, and satisfaction and, and just being able to be connected to someone else? Or God, is my fulfillment found in one place, and that's in you. So today I ask you to take that same inventory right now. Are you looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places? When you should be looking for Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now we give you permission to speak to our heart this morning. Hallelujah. This morning, if that's you and you and you acknowledge that in your life, here's what I'd like for you to do. Would you just ask the Lord to empty those things from you, to empty that out of your heart? God, I don't want to be connected to stuff. I don't want stuff to be my fulfillment. I don't want to be what I drive or what I live in or the things I own to provide fulfillment for me. I don't want my schedule or my calendar to provide fulfillment for me. I don't want technology or entertainment to be what I fill my life with. I don't want relationships, good or bad, I don't want them consuming me. I want to be consumed by you. Hallelujah. Would you stand across this sanctuary this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the thoughts of this word today, I pray that this this study, God, will permeate our hearts throughout this week, that we would be 
ones who seek after you, seek after your word. God, that we'd be filled with your spirit. God, if there's anything else in us, Holy Spirit, you have permission, God, to speak into our life, to convict us, to speak to us, to do whatever it takes, Lord, for us to understand that we find fulfillment in you. The only way we'll ever live life filled is if we live it filled of you. And so God, today, not only as we talk tonight in home groups, but also throughout this week, would you bring this thought back to our attention? Would you bring this back to our mind? That today we want to be people who are filled up with you, not of us. Not of our stuff, not of our relationships and our plans, but you. I thank you, Lord, today, and I praise you, God. You're awesome. Fill us continually with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.